This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Welcome to Hitting the Mark. Every two weeks, I sit down right here with you and with a contagiously inspiring founder, just like today, or a shockingly transparent investor to talk about the art and the heart of a brand. It all started as an experiment, and once listeners like yourself started tuning in, it soon turned into this bi-weekly labor of love that, in return, requires a lot of time, from researching future guests and curating the flow, to reaching out and dealing with the logistics of the scheduling, the podcast, the editing, the show, creating assets, pushing it on social, etc., etc. You know how it goes. Good things take time. So if hitting the mark provides you with inspiration and you're slowly but surely forming an addictive habit of listening to it every two weeks, please show your support to offset some of the costs so I do not have to bring on interruptive sponsorship messages because I really, really would not like to do that. And I don't think you'd enjoy it either. Instead, I want to thank you on air, connect with you on monthly group calls, have you submit questions for guests up front, and simply have this be 100% community supported. So this marks the beginning of a new community-enabled and community-driven era of hitting the mark. And I'd love for you to check out the brand new Patreon site, which I link to in the notes, or simply go to hittingthemarkpodcast.com and hit the support button to learn more about the different levels and perks that come with your support. And now, without further ado, I welcome a founder who has been at it for 30 years. So it is not a new brand, nor one that is shockingly innovative or disruptive at all as it relates to the services it provides. But Charles Entis, founder and CEO of Entis Roofing and Waterproofing, has built a brand on the power of good a long time before it became a more mainstream business etiquette and to an extent most can only aspire to. Charles began his career as a roofing professional in 1984. Since then, he has become an inspirational business leader, championing social corporate responsibility. While Antis is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, or as Charles would say, for 30 years, we've been keeping families safe and dry. Charles is a member of the Board of Directors of Orange County Habitat for Humanity, through which Antis has donated every single roof installation of every single home built by Habitat OC since 2009. That's over $1 million in in-kind donations. Charles inspires others into doing well by doing good and was honored with the American Red Cross Corporate Hero Award. Despite me having a rule of not inviting former clients or people I know prior to having them on as a guest, I did meet Charles ever so briefly while I was presenting a United to End Homelessness brand campaign to the Executive Council of the Orange County United Way chapter. And Charles was one of the guys I presented it to. We quickly knew we were aligned when it comes to messaging and branding and following him on LinkedIn and seeing his great social responsibility efforts on a weekly basis, I decided to reach out and voila, here we are. Welcome to Hitting the Mark, Charles. Thanks, Fabian. I'm excited to be here. 
Absolutely. So Antis is going back 30 years, not to date you here, but it's it's been it's been a while and roofing is a commodity and it is frankly a tough business to stay in business, let alone thrive. How did you start the company and, and when and how did you begin injecting it with personality and the stigma that it needed to be bigger than just the service offering you provided or you yourself turning into a conscious capitalist, as you call it? Yes. Uh, wow, that's a that's a lot there. And I'll, I'll give you my best answer. And when I started my business, um, I did not have a business plan. I didn't know what marketing was. I couldn't distinguish marketing for sale from sales, nor would I for many years. But I had an instinct of a couple of things that helped me survive. And, and one was one that I would later call customer care. It seemed to me instinctively that the first most simple form of marketing, you know, my more sophisticated eventually became marketing was I need a good word of mouth that I needed to take care of a client in a deep way. And so I became very good, unable to really facilitate re-roofs being really small and having limited skills. I figured out that if I could tell people that I'll solve that leak from rain, that leak in their home or in their business from rain that no one else can solve, I'll do it for free. And it seemed to me then they might believe me to pay me. And that was that was all I had. And, and I followed that through with great customer care. And that's how I got work initially. And that was my first my first ray of a brand that was put out there. Another, another part, another component uh, happened that, that led me to the reason we're talking today. And that was in that moment of needing every call just to pay the bills. My work one week was weatherproofing a door that was a home bedroom converted into an office. So when a client might call that they wouldn't hear my daughter crying. <laughs> and that was my work one week because I only got about two calls a week when I first started my business. And one of those calls I got, a, I got was a, a woman who had leaks in her home in every room. And that sounded pretty good. I was going to get some money for leak repairs. And I, and I didn't have an excess then. I had a mortgage payment to make in a couple of weeks. I, know, I didn't even have the funds for that yet. And I'm driving out to this home on, this, on the next day. And I'm noticing as I'm getting closer that the homes are getting smaller, more disheveled until finally I turn on the street where the home would be and I just see like dead grass and four walls. And I remember, I remember thinking, I hope that's not the house because it had one of those one half of numbers on it, but I went up and knocked on it. And then the next three things just changed everything for me because a middle-aged woman answered the home with this tired expression on her face. And before I could say anything, I was hit with this mildew like I had never smelt before that just pulled me back and sent a shock in me that I, I was figuring out how I was going to leave. Now, I remember before I could say anything, this third thing happened. And I felt a tug at my finger and I looked down and there was this little girl with a, the biggest smile I can still see in my eyes with toe blonde hair who just was, she couldn't smell what I smelled. She just had a visitor and she's pulled me in with, on my finger. And I, I went into this little crowded living room into a tiny undersized hallway. And then until finally she turned to her right and into her room. And I, I knew her, she slept there because she points to this, my little pony poster on the wall. But as, as she points to that poster, my eyes look down and I see four mattresses with disheveled and moldy bedding. And I realized that's where she sleeps. 
that's where her, her and her siblings sleep. And I, and I was just sitting there in shock. Like this is like, and it wasn't, it's, it's a good story now, but it wasn't a good story right then. It was, I was in this state of shock, fight, flight or flight, because this was a threat to me. I couldn't help. I mean, it sounds horrible, but it didn't, it didn't feel good yet. And, and as cute as that little girl was, and, and as, as the moment was there, because I was this professional, I could do something, it didn't hit me until the mother came in again with that look on her face. And, and something in me stirred that didn't stir just with the child, but I looked at that mother and I just, I, I don't know where it came from, but it, it was my doctor on an airplane moment. And I just said, I'm going to take care of your roof. And I went up there on the roof, hoping they just needed some patches. And I saw a completely dilapidated roof and they needed a brand new roof. And, and I, I followed through, you know, I followed through. I got, I got, I didn't have any employees yet. So I got six volunteers. We showed up there on Saturday and um, I got some inexpensive, but dry roofing material. And we gooped that roof and we put rolled material on that roof and it was dry. And that family stayed in that home. And that was a, a crazy moment because it didn't hit me any, any which way. It was just what I had to do. And it was kind of like my doctor on an airplane moment. If you're a doctor on the airplane and somebody has a heart attack, I think that most of us believe that uh, the doctor raises his hand and says, yes, I'll help. And I also believe that when a doctor raises his hand and, and helps that person on an aircraft who had a heart attack, I highly doubt the doctor sends a bill. And I feel like that's what happened to me. It just happened to me and my profession was different than medicine. But who could help that family more than me? And so that was a magic moment. And I didn't know it was magic until months later, I'd run into one of the siblings. I, there was five other kids. I'd run into one of the siblings and they would be like, hey, We'd high five and I noticed I had a pretty good day that day or I'd run into one of the volunteers on the next Sunday and then they'd be like, hey, you know, there was this story that we did together that I had no idea that was changing everything in the trajectory of Antis Roofing. This story became our culture. This story held us together, even though it took me years to recognize that this story was part of the reason we were strong because I think for our techs and for our people, it felt good. Like we're not just profiting off this trade, we're giving back. And it was, but it wasn't something we talked about because it was, a, it was not okay to talk about it where we grew up. You know, I grew up where you don't talk about the good that you're doing. In fact, there was like things that were quoted to me as a child, like don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing because mm -hmm. then God can't reward you. And, you know, and I'm paraphrasing what I heard, maybe not what was said, but what I heard. And, and it was like, so it felt wrong. It felt wrong to talk about it. And the reason I did it, it was more like, what am I going to do? It, it wasn't in the beginning. Oh my God, I have this opportunity to give back. It, it feels that way sometimes now, but even sometimes now it feels like it did then like, Oh my God, how can somebody ask for that? How can I possibly do it? But in that, figuring it out in that not saying no in those magic moments of going to bed on the possibility of doing something really noble there's where something happens that i don't know how to describe i'm just here to tell you story after story that mm -hmm. it happened because that developed who we were we eventually learned to talk about it after our giving became more formal after we became uh involved with habitat for humanity orange county sorry i went on a long tangent there fabian I warned you.
No, this is, I mean, first of all, this is an amazing story. And I, you know, I would react very differently if I had not heard it last night on a, on a keynote. And I, I was so, I was so um, taken, taken by that story. And I was, I was hoping that you would, you would tell it. Um, you know, it's really that, that was the moment where, where you found purpose and then, and then the purpose, you know, was contagious to, and, and, and it actually created the culture. Um, and, and through all of that authenticity and, and empathy, you started, you know, creating an, an, a brand, really. And, and to, to me, that's, that's beautiful. And, and on your website, you state, the more we give, the more we grow. And I'm, I'm a big believer that doing good is good business, right? But expand a little bit on on that thought perhaps even with some data points that made you make that statement so confidently on the website because now your brand has been walking that walk year after year for 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 a few decades how is doing good good business and how can you actually you know tell everyone with certainty that it is honestly in the moment um i love that statement the more we give the more we grow but let me talk this is the i gotta i just gotta be honest about it but like it's one that we've kind of said let's not say that really much right now so i love it i'm going to tell you why uh because we said that and it worked three years ago because we do have this really big desire to to make impact in the community. And we want to draw attention to it because we want to show other businesses that, that they can do it. But sometimes our statements are scary. Like three or four years ago, I started saying also, uh, we err on the side of generosity with all of our stakeholders. And that basically says, we're not going to get it over on anybody. And when you make that statement, there's a little bit of a mind check where you go, well, I mean, I used to always have my angle that we got away. We, we did or we, we did better than other people here. How can I be generous? But in thinking that way, magic happens. And that's what we discovered. In thinking that way, we it started to happen. But th the more we give, the more we grow. Let me tell you about that one. We said that three years ago, and we had this amazing growth here. We grew like 40%. And then what happened in California, as a roofing contractor, it didn't rain. And when you go from you know a lot of rain, the biggest rain in 10 years, to no rain the next year, our sales went down 20%. So our profit went way down. Of course, yeah. Ironically, though, ironically, there's some things that happen. I, I started, that's when I started, why are we saying that? That's really not responsible. But we say it to make a claim in the direction that we're going so we get people's attention so we can share the success in what we're doing. And what, what we ended up talking about, and, and I, I did some big talks that year that our sales dropped 20%. And I still, we still talked about that because we are growing. Our giving grew last year. Now, I don't know how fiscally responsible some people think this is, but in a year where, in 2018, where our profits went down tremendously, our giving went up. And some people would say, in fact, our giving, we gave almost a million dollars in grants and in foundation stuff and spot roof sponsorships. And, 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 but it, it was like, that might have been irresponsible, but we did grow. And how did we grow from those that giving? I mean, we all grew in our capacity to understand how to message cause marketing. We, we grew in our capacity to understand this important, deep value that runs through our employees and extends out into the community. So, so that's I, I wouldn't have gone down that path, but but I love messaging. I think, and I think if you're true to messaging today, and this takes me into a, a, a point that that I'm so authentic in the moment, trying to get the message right, and 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 I'll admit that I'm going to miss it sometimes. And when we miss it, 
we're all going to learn from when we just missed it. And, and I'm not saying we missed it by the more we give, the more we grow. I'm saying that that was the right message to say three years ago. And now I'm questioning it, if that's how I'm going to lead. Sometimes I will talk in that vein, but I think that it, 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 it grew the impact through why we had it at the time. But it, we were authentic in the moment three years ago, trying to nail what it is that we do for people, what it is that we do for the trade associations that we belong to and how that extends from our people out through the associations and to all the stakeholders. So, so this is a, this, that's why I wanted to get into that. Now, now I wanted, I wanted, I, I had to talk around that because we talked about it. I wanted to talk about how authentic message is going, but I still haven't answered your question. So can you, after that little side note, I went on, give me the question again, and this time I'll dive right in. I, I actually think you you pretty much you pretty much um, you know answered it. I mean, I, I think the idea that even if there's a year where revenue you know goes down a little bit just based on external you know reasons really, which which in your business was was simply the weather, right? Um, to actually give back during that year and to give back more than the year than than, than well, you did the year yeah, previous. That was- that was it's, crazy, but, but, but it's th- not th- crazy. It's not crazy. See, to me, Charles, this is this is well, good. I mean, crazy, crazy, and radical. It's radically different, and right. I love that. And my point is, is being radically different in a social, generous way, in an inside-out way through the community and through your people in the community. It's never been a better time to air there. So, by having this intent to grow, give more, having the intent to be able to give more as we grow. And to have the intent to be generous, it really pays off today because it keeps people in your company and it keeps people so much more productive because if you're authentic in the moment and if you have that cause that's tied to your brand and you're practicing talking about it in the front of your company and you have a brand holder in your company, which it's it's more convenient if it's the founder CEO, but but it can be your director of cause. It can be it can be somebody else in your company. But if you have this today, you have such an advantage in business. When I go to sell a client today, I we sell HOAs and we we service more HOAs than anybody. That's our, it's our niche in the roofing business. But when I go to sell a client today, I used to walk into that room and just because I was a roofing contractor and guilty by some association from a past experience they had, I would go into this and I would be accused of things that we'd never do. Like we would be accused of kickbacks, of, 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 of not doing the work, of purposely not doing the work that we intended to perform. And, and we learned to have to take it. But when I go to a board meeting today, that doesn't happen. What happens is the opposite. There's maybe one person in the room that that I that instead of one person chiseling us and accusing us of, there's one person that's looking at me and smiling, man or, male or female, looking down, touching their hair, like, what well, is that person flirting with me? And why? And then I so I start asking questions. How are we doing? Great. Why? What are we doing? Great. And I'll get answers like the one that really hit me when I knew this brand was working like six years ago. This board member from this association. Um, looked at me and says, I don't know, Charles, we just feel good when we think about you guys. And that was something I'd never heard before. And that's when I knew that I'm on the right track. And yeah, last year we gave more away than we put in the bank. Is that responsible? Mm -hmm. I think yes. Do I need to look at it and make sure that, you know, we have a trajectory that fits? Yes. There's always, you know, running the right balance, but the balance has shifted. And it's a time today, whatever your spend is on your people, you're on top of spend for HR and your people and the community, all that together. 
it's got to drastically increase. If it was already high, it probably needs to double. If it was low, it might need to go 10 times. That's a scary number. But if you can keep your people, it, it, in the new world, it's all about being empathetic and being adaptive and being a critical thinker and being a high, having high emotional intelligence. And, and this is going to keep the people there that will allow you to do that. It's all about being adaptive and you can keep your people if you have cause. And that's what great CSR, they didn't do it for the outside value gain. I think I really started on the wrong side. I was so focused on the customer that I often, and as much as I love my people, I'm so focused on the good we can do in the community. Sometimes I overlook my people and I often joke that I was like Will Ferrell in old school, when he's all alone on the street, he's running and he's and his wife comes up and he's drunk and he's running. He's like, hey, honey. And she's like, honey, you're naked. Get in the car. And he goes, no, come on, honey. Everybody's doing it. And that is what, you know, that's my enthusiasm when it's just outside focus. But when you work through your people, then you keep your people. They, they become the ones that help you adapt in the super changing world. In the roofing industry, it's going to change so much in the next decade. It's going to change for the better. But if you're not adaptive, good luck. Oh, good yeah. luck in yeah. business. Yeah, any, any business really today, right? And I mean, back to, back to your, you know, back to culture. Um, I think today Antis has a 93% employee retention rate or something that's really, really outrageously high for, for the industry, right? And, and cultures, everything is a headline on your website. And I just could not agree more, right? I, even, I, I, I say this on air, a great culture kicks even a great branding's butt, right? <laughs> it's like, I'll say that again and again, because it all comes from within. And you know, going a little bit back in history with, with your company, and, and, you know, I ran an agency for a long time. Um, I had that same problem. You know, I, you talked about in one of your keynotes how you had founder syndrome in, in the early years of running a firm. And you compared it, and this is hilarious, you compared it to a seagull flapping and flapping around while pooping on everyone, <laughs> which is which is one. Yeah, I think, I think a, <laughs> that phrase, a seagull boss, someone who... <laughs> Flaps of his wings, squawking and shitting all over everybody. And I, I think that describes what a founder ends up doing, even when he doesn't realize he's doing it, based on his behavior. Because even if you're not being a little bit loud, because you are the founder, everyone knows you've done their job before, and you ask a question like, why are you doing it that way? It comes out like, why are you doing it that way? That's how right, they hear right, it. You know? right. And so founder syndrome is, is really... All of the things that founders did to get it started often won't be what's going to get it to the multi 10 million range. And founders must be self-aware lest they will keep stabbing their tires. And so I think that, uh, yeah, founder syndrome is something that it's, it's for everybody that's a founder. It is so healthy. In fact, I just learned this. Um, as I was describing founder syndrome to somebody else, I actually looked at the Wikipedia page and it's grown from where it was a few years ago. Founder syndrome also occurs to division heads, people that, that are project managers that bring in new things and companies that, that, that are so protective of the baby that they brought in and they crush innovation. So founder syndrome mm -hmm. is, is our worst enemy for all of us that have startups. I'm, you know, it, we both are, have tendencies that made us 
that were great to get us where we were that will will hurt us if we're not careful uh, as we hire people. How were you able to shake founder syndrome so that other entrepreneurs can, can learn from it, at least the way that you did it? What was it? What was that moment? Um, well, first of all, that um, I, I really believe in, um, in uh, Vistage-type groups, that CEO-type groups, yep. where you go and you... Um, You go and you just learn to be honest with another bunch of group of CEOs one day a month. That is where I heard the term. That's where people help me pause to see it. But but I think being adaptive is it goes deeper. I'm very adaptive. I think um, I, I it took me a long time to realize it. But I'm a young 57 year old. I'm very millennial like thinking. But I, I think I'm adaptive through my path. I was raised. Um, in a religion, in my parents' religion, I'm no longer part of that religion. It's a strong culture religion, Mormonism. And I think when you leave a strong culture religion, it's very difficult because that becomes your community. And, and I think that you can, you can do two things. You can go, and, and for me, it was like I, was, I had to redefine myself. And in that redefining myself, I had to be self-critical sometimes to learn and grow. And I had a couple of times like that where I had to redefine myself in life. And I think that, you know, moving from the country to the city, how am I going to survive here? Those life experiences, um, if, if we go back and reframe our lives, we've all been very adaptive, but I think we have to embrace that today. And, and when, you, when, you, when you get that founder syndrome-itis, when you realize, oh my God, I have this, this is funny, and you forgive yourself, and the way you get that is doing self-assessments. I'm a big fan of self-assessments. When I did my DISC, And I found out that I had a high eye on a disc scale. My Vistage group pointed at me and laughed. And, you know, they said, ah, you want to be the center of attention. And, and I quickly said, no, I don't. And, and I got, <laughs> you know, and like, hopefully I, by the later on that day, I admitted, well, yes, I do. And, <laughs> and in fact, thank you for telling me that's who I am and I'm not doing something wrong. Now I can forgive myself and realize that it's not a weakness. It's a strength. I'm great in sales. I'm great at speaking. I'm great in marketing. I'm great in customer care because I have a high eye. And so when you learn about yourself, the more you're willing to do the emotional intelligence test. If you, if you just try to grab the concept of emotional intelligence, it is the greatest gift. You will, uh, you will get founder syndrome because it is just your survival mode because we all, we all operate in animal mode even though we think we're so smart. That's basically what emotional intelligence tells me. So self-assessment is really how I've grown, but I've also been forced to grow a few times. And, and, I, and I think that sometimes when you things hit our life, if we can flip our brain to only believe in positive outcomes, we can realize that some of these, some of these things that we used to see as tragedy, now I'm, I'm, I'm not saying there's not tragedies, but a lot of things that we would used to see as something bad, we can flip in this new mindset in this because this this failing is the greatest gift fail 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 and fail being a contractor you can fail and still survive i've failed on so many jobs in the past and we're really good at what we do and what we design and how we perform today because we failed so much to get here so right. that's the other thing is failing is how i learn well absolutely i mean i i think that you you said you said so many things i know you accuse me of asking a question that has five questions in it uh you do the same with your answers which is fantastic because there were so many gold nuggets in there i really i really appreciate it um 
I want to go back to culture for a second uh, because I'm sure that a lot of listeners getting to know your brand, getting to know you and the way that you embody marketing, you know, and, and empathy and purpose, um, you build a strong culture. Now, do you as a brand actually have written down, formulated core values um, or, or is, is it different? Like, how do you deal? How do you deal with core values and how are they being embodied day to day? I love that. So, you know, I, I'm not a formalized, I'm a, I'm a visionary, which means I loosely define. And I know that if I grab things too tight, I've learned, then I steer them into the ground. So if you're a visionary and you have ideas, you learn to bring in doers around you. And, and so I have a great story around that. And we were, we were working with a neuroscientist uh, to build our new values. And, and we And so if, if you want to be heard in marketing, you want to simplify, simplify, simplify. You don't want to simplify colors, uh, position of your, of your graphics. Also, you want to simplify the words. And so, um, so I really was wanting to bake down what we do. And we really, we spent a lot of time with Dr. Marin, this amazing um, um, guy that works with brands like Southwest Airlines. And, and we, we worked with him for a long time to come up with the one word. And the word we came up with was B, B-E. And if I can describe the word be, because we're, we're giving it new context, I, I can't, it comes out different every day, but, but really what our, what be is to us is it's much like what Simon Sinek did when he asked us, what's your why? And now some days I can answer that question. Some days it hits me funny, but, and so when we talk about what we value at Antis, um, the B, the B values is what we've come up with. And so the, the cool part is, is Dr. Moran helped us get to the word B. And we came up with this, be safe, be good, be dry. And that was gonna, that's how we were going to market to our people to show them that we can keep them safe in our communities. But really what happened is we did our ex ex external strategy session and we had some amazing people that came in like Michelle Jordan, who I strongly recommend using. And she came in and helped us with our strategy and our, our team, not me, not marketing, but our team, our team, uh, uh, 20 of us baked And we surveyed and we came up with what we value. This was actually the expanded team beyond that. And we came down to five things that we value. And this is what they are. Be good, be accountable, be generous, be a leader, and be passionate. And what we found is we had turned our value statement into 11 words with a lot of repetition there in this really branded good way that When we donate our space to nonprofits, and we have a lot of nonprofits come in here, they see that, and we hear things like, can we borrow that? Yes, yes, <laughs> please take it. And so what happened is I, I turned to my team and I said, I know that we spent a lot of money to, to be this, be safe, be, by, be good, but who we really are are these values, be good, be accountable, be generous, be a leader, and be passionate. Slightly different context than the word be. And so what happened is this became who we were. And so I was giving a big keynote um, in fact, it was the one you referenced. It was the one last year at the Legends and Leaders, and, and it was a big crowd. And, and the last slide I said that I decided to show was this internal thing. This, and we're an inside-out company. We share what's working so others can do it. And we discovered that these values were resonating. And I went up there, and I talked, and I finished this talk. And after I spoke, another writer and a good friend of mine, Steve Cherm, he commented on social media about how Charles ended his message with a, with a, you know, a be good and be accountable. And the funny thing was, I called Steve later and said, Steve, I never said that. That was the slide and that was the value. And that's what, and so we've had that. We use that slide for impact moments. And because it says so much in so few words. 
Well, well, it was it was holistically right. I, I love the idea that it started with an exercise of external brand messaging, and it turned into a variation of it turned into the internal, you know, values and and how you want to operate and who you want to be as a company. I I think it's extremely extremely powerful um and and i love that that people just feel that intrinsically after after the talk you know um and and going from all of these b words right be this be that do you think that that as a as a a brand if you if you think about the essence of your brand and its entirety could you sum it up in a few characters so in 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 one word or two word phrase that can describe your brand's dna so you know to think about it it's like holly davidson could be freedom right coke could be happiness what is Antis? Could you think of Antis as it's in a single word or in two words? It must be difficult based on our conversation today. Well, it's difficult for me, but I'll, I'm going to give you a. I'm going to have to answer it two ways. So, to really understand what we've discovered and what we sell and what we sell inside and out the company, it comes down to two words, and it's for your brand and it's for everybody that are your stakeholders, and that is fulfillment and impact. That's the intersection of, of, of life trajectory, of, of seeing yourself in a higher light. It's that point where you're having impact in people or people's lives or animals' lives. Or you're having impact in the environment, whatever that is, but you're also finding that fulfillment. And so those two words are critical to want to wanna discuss how to get to a real cause marketing brand. Um, but, but if I was to use the, I want to use the word B because I'm experimenting with this word and I have been for the last year. And, you know, I think, I think the one that I spend most of my time is the be good. You know, it's like, it's, it's simple, but it's like, you know, that's all I really wanted to do. I didn't know what it was. I had to define in my life what good was. But my dad just always taught me to leave it better than I found it. Like I've learned that in Scouts too. Mm-hmm. The simplest thing, you know, leave it better than you found it. And, and I think that the best way I can get there is, is you know, I want to be my best self. So I want to be my best self. And that's, I don't compare myself to you anymore. And I don't want my people to compare themselves to me. I want you and I want me to compare ourselves to ourselves and I want to be good being my best self, you know, and I think that's, that's my definition of being good is seeing yourself higher and therefore you're able to see everything and everyone else higher. And then you become a real asset to the world and you have impact and you have this magical place of fulfillment, which is where I get to every day. I wake up in fear. I, I have good months and bad months in business like everybody else. But I wake up and I put on this, uh, this outlook that only sees good things coming. So if something hit today that's other than that, I go, wow, this is really going to be good. I mean, I literally can see the other side of that and see the value in this, this growing experience that's coming. And, and I think that's, that's the greatest thing. So be good. That's beautiful. Going, going from that macro level all the way, all the way to, 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 you know, looking at the word branding, you know, obviously you are, you're, you are a marketer, you know, with, within your space, um, you know, one of the, one of the many hats that, that, that you wear within the company. What does branding mean to someone like you who has been in an industry for 30 years and, and you've been pushing the boundaries within the industry and, and you really were a game changer and a visionary within an industry that is known for exactly the opposite? What does branding mean to you? I mean, branding is a, an action word that 
if you don't try to grab it today, you're going to be left and you're going to be lost because branding is, it's always been who you were, but now with this craving that everyone has for authenticity, branding, real authentic present day branding is what everybody seeks and it's the most important thing. So, so I, I, I have to talk about branding that I got to go into this little weird wormhole about the, there's a, you know, we hear about these currencies, Facebook's trying to create a currency. I hear the Trump administration doesn't like, uh, in China, they have a currency for social good that they've come up with that where if you're in their version of communism, social good in, in, in China, you'll get to the front of the line, get a bigger house. Um, well, and, and we have the same thing happening here in Silicon Valley. Those of us that know people that are trying to build algorithms that can root out fakeness because there's so much fake stuff coming at us from all sides. And so, so branding is critical today. It's like, it's like when a, a somebody goes to prison, they'll tell you like, they don't join a gang. If they don't join a gang, they're going to die because you're a threat to everybody in prison until they know by which gang you reside. And then it all puts it into an order. And that that is, is in a, a fish tank. So we can study that and poke at it. But the same thing is in our society today. We we don't know who we are. And it is and people are craving to know who you are. And if you kind of know who somebody is, it's not enough like it was 10 years ago. You look for the gang that you, you, you reside with. So people that that, that care about families being close to their sick kids, they trust me more because I'm on the board of Ronald McDonald House and we do a lot of roof donations there. And people that think everybody has a decent place to live, uh, they trust me and my company more because we donate all the roofs for Habitat and we have in Orange County for the last 10 years. So it's suddenly, it is all about this currency of social good. It's literally like, I'm not telling you I think this is coming. I've been talking about this with some other people and I'm watching it happen. It literally is going to be money in ways that our brains can't contextualize yet, much like you're trying to wrap your head around cryptocurrency. I see things very visually. So just imagine you're looking at your PC screen and you're seeing all these little eraser head LinkedIn size photos of each other like we see on LinkedIn, darting like shooting stars across the scene. Oh, is that Fabian? Is that Charles? Who is that? that? And we're all craving to be seen. And this is my visual interpretation of the currency of social good. If you are doing something good, giving back, best practices, are you, are you giving back in your community? Now algorithms are being built to bring you to the front of the line. And if you are giving back in your community, what happens is you're not an eraser head, shooting star, ripping across the PC. You become this saucer eight-inch saucer that's floating up in its own trajectory ever so slightly that everyone can see. That is the new currency. I can't explain it better than that because it's not really invented yet, but we're moving in this super adaptive world. And if you want to survive and be adaptable, then dive in to cause. Dive into mixing your branding with your cause, who you authentically are. And even if you you know, and it should be something that lines up well that people think is good. There's there's some nonprofits that may not serve you to line up with, but even if it didn't serve you, you'd still be better off than not having the alignment. People need to know who you are. If you're in business just to make money in the next 10 years, good luck staying in business. It's all about who you are, who you align with, and you better expect that you're going to be telling that story. It's all about telling the story too. Everybody and every nonprofit board I'm on, when we go to the board meetings, it's it's always like, ha, 
How do we get our story heard? And, and we all realize now that people remember the stories. That's what they remember. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those were some powerful words. And, and, and you described the idea of branding, um, you know, how, how it is and, and really how it will be in the next in the next half decade or so. I mean, it's going to it's going to happen very, very yeah. quickly. Oh, um, so I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. I don't mean mean to be a futurist, but I can't help but see where things are going. And you're so right. And it's, it's really healthy to spend a little bit of time and have a Disney type plan. Disney, they have a strategy for three completely different directions at any given time. So like they have it if things are great, if things turn bad, and then if the world goes like really crazy, they have three different strategies they build out every year instead of one. And that way they're always, and that's, that's the new world. It's, It's going to be a way more adaptive world. So instead of being afraid of it, just embrace it. Keep your people, then you'll be able to adapt to it. Absolutely love that. Um, listeners who live in Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego, they should obviously reach out to Antis to, to get a new roof if they need one. Because who, who better to handle your new roof than, uh, than a futurist? <laughs> And they can, they can find you at entisroofing.com. But since the majority of our U.S. listeners are not in the region and more than half of our listeners are not even located in the U.S., how can they follow you to, to learn more about, you know, your insights into, into company culture and philanthropy and, you know, a, oh, yeah. lot of, a lot of other things as the CEO of your brand? Well, that's a great question. And so I, I find that what fulfills me is awakening others to that impact, their fulfillment thing. So I love speaking and I do a lot of, I do a lot of talking, do a lot of podcasts. So uh, like I'll share this, I'll, I'll, sh I'll share hitting the mark Fabian on my LinkedIn. I I'm yeah, on my LinkedIn, I only manage one, one account. I manage my own LinkedIn, but I love st stuff like this. And this is where I'm known. Um, and this is where I like to talk. I'll do keynotes across the country this year and I'll share those on, on our social media. We also, you can also follow us at, on our Facebook, Antis Roofing Facebook. A lot of stuff is, I just don't personally do that. And you can follow us on our Antis Roofing four or five social media channels that we have. Um, but, but on my LinkedIn, um, I'm all post on stuff that I have going. That's great. And I would highly recommend everyone to, to, to do follow Entis Roofing, um, you know, as, as a company, actually, because it is amazing what a roofing company that is fairly local, you know, I mean, it is, it is, it is, it is a big region that you cover, but um, how, how a roofing company can leave that mark and can create this, this, this um, community and, and culture. It is really amazing. So thank you, Charles. It was so great to have you on the show. I'm super excited. Great. I can't wait to hear it. Awesome. And, and, and thanks to everyone for listening. And let me again invite you to become a supporter of this show. I just launched this program, so I'm overly excited about making it happen. Go to hittingthemarkpodcast.com, hit that support button. A very special thanks go to Roxy Velez from Berlin, Germany, and Freddie Teague from Branson, Missouri, who just joined on the Branster level, which means they will get to hang out with me on next month's group call. So thank you both for being part of the tribe and for becoming sustaining members. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One, And if you're intrigued to find out who is behind that moniker, then too, head on over to the support site and you will be in for a little surprise. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark. <laughs>